0: good to get all of the firsts out of the way for the new season right the first 17 point comeback to send a game to overtime the first top 25 poll of the regular season frankly greg here on sunday afternoon i got my first can't look at the poll in isolation ex post of the season i was very happy about that very
1: good yes all of the first this weekend first score for the 2023 20, season pick six for rowan yep you know it was good to get get all the streams going i had relatively few stream week one miscues um that's usually something that happens had some some streams that you know were missing some of the niceties that we'll get later on like score bugs <laughs> and times on the screen and things like that but you know for the most part really stream wise one of the better week ones uh that i've experienced in the last handful of seasons
0: Greg, I could think of one of the streams that I followed on Saturday that I can tell you from past experience is never going to get that score bug updated, and it's never going to get that time clock. The only way that I could get a score for that game so I could update our scoreboard was to follow what people were saying in the chat about the game and then scrub back in order to find the last time the camera panned over to the scoreboard. Those are fun, yeah. So they're working it out, and... You know, week one to week two is where you see the biggest improvement, right? Got your coaching cliche in before we even get to the open.
1: Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman.
2: You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman.
0: And Greg Thomas.
2: Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. There have been
0: 50 seasons of Division Three football. We've covered it for 25 years. We've had a podcast since 2007. It's the D3Football.com, Around the Nation podcast, your only podcast directly from the folks at D3Football.com. We will be here every week all season because we live and breathe this stuff. I'm Patrick Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com.
1: I'm Greg Thomas. I write Around the Nation at D3Football.com. Pat, here we are, Season 17, Episode 6. And no time to ease ourselves into it. There's a lot of really great things to talk about here at the top of the show.
0: If you were not engaged by some pretty cool games on Thursday night, how about games kicking off early in the day on Saturday that just kind of blow your mind? Frankly, I'm going to be honest with you. I expected a great game at St. John's Trinity. I expected that most of these games between top 25 teams were going to be great games. And... We picked up basically where we left off at the end of 2022-2023, shaping up to be yet another fantastic season for the Division Three football fan.
1: Absolutely. Right where we left off is right, Pat, which means that the game of the week is wherever Patrick Coleman is. <laughs> you, you are our eyes and ears on
0: the ground in Collegeville on Saturday. Take us through what happened. I will. And I will say, too, you know, in this show, we're going to talk with Jeremy Urban. He's the head coach at Trinity, Texas, for our Fast Five. So we're going to be a little uh, St. John's-centric here in the top. We will get the Trinity side of the story coming up in just a little bit. So it's a hot day in Collegeville. Do you have a wet bulb reading there in Collegeville? I did not uh, have access to the wet bulb reading, Greg, but multiple other games in Minnesota, their game times were changed. One was moved to Friday night. One was moved to 10 a.m. I got a text from my daughter, who is in freshman orientation at Gustavus, who spent the whole first half of the Gustavus-Buna Vista game at the stadium and texted me a halftime score. That is dedication, and that is a kid who's looking for a job in putting scores, obviously, some Saturday afternoon. So yeah, games were moved. This one was not. So if you remember your MIAC wet bulb temperature rules, which I think... You go back to podcast 278. Podcast number 203. Extended breaks between quarters and a, uh, an official's timeout for hydration, that sort of thing. Obviously, lots of kids cramped up. A guy named Tucker Horn was one of them. It's the kind of day, though, Greg, where, you know, you have 9,838 or something like that fans in the stands. And it's a disappointing number, especially for all the people who left at halftime. Students, especially, who left at halftime. They missed a great second half because this game starts, Greg, and, man, Trinity just looks dominant. They are clicking on all sides of the ball. They are getting to Aaron Severson uh, with their defensive pressure. Tucker Hart has all sorts of time to throw. I think he completed, um, let's see, 11 of his first 13 passes, finish 27 for 32 for 352 yards. It seemed like, basically, Trinity was doing almost nothing wrong, and St. John's was... They were looking outclassed, frankly, for the, through the first three quarters, and then things changed a little bit. Big blow in that uh, Caleb Harmel was ejected from the game for a targeting call that is clearly going to get overturned with whatever process that is that actually takes to overturn that, but you don't have replay review in Division Three for anything beyond the semifinals in the National Championship game. So once they ejected him in the second half, there was no chance to review and realize that they made the wrong call. This game comes down to Trini coughing up the ball at a couple of key moments in the fourth quarter and then a key play at the very end of the game. And to talk a little bit more about that, we'll send it to Caden Saxon. He is the guy who made the interception on the last play of the game in overtime. Yeah, so they had done it a previous time on
2: a couple drives before, and it's that outside guy does the hitch and the two guy does the seam up the field and Novak our D coordinator had told me hey shade yourself inside so that you're able to get over there and make the play on it if you see that long arm of the quarterback and that's exactly what happened I was
0: inside and I saw him throw up that arm and just jump the route and was able to get in front of him and pick it off and just to have everyone swarm me and just know it was over like in that moment it was over and a game with a lot of ups and downs it was a good feeling to just know that we had come out on top. Greg I mentioned that St. John's couldn't get very much done correctly in the uh, first half maybe the first three quarters it's silly for me to have said that like can I when I can have Gary Foshing say the exact same thing,
2: we didn't stop him at all in the first half. I would say even through the first three quarters, uh, we couldn't get a rush. Uh, even when we came with
1: uh, with uh, blitzing linebackers, we couldn't get a, a, a real g- good rush. And then their quarterback is so good. I mean, he found open guys and and uh, you know he would escape pressure and dump it off. Uh, you know, he's as good as we've ever
2: faced. I think, in my opinion, anyway. But um, I thought. Later in the game, fourth quarter, we started maybe, you know, it looked like we got a little, a little bit more speed out there. I don't know if I should say speed, but uh, guys were getting to him a little bit more and
0: um, uh, playing more like what we expect, I guess.
1: And, Pat, I think when you get a chance to have Gary Foshing say something, you do it. Gary Foshing, great game day voice, uh, as always, especially when you catch him after a game uh, like this one. Pat, you said in the third end of the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, things happen. It's almost like there's a name for that when when things happen at Clemens Stadium. Tough result for Trinity after playing so well for so long in that game. But you can never, ever count out St. John's at Clemens Stadium until the clock hits zeros and sometimes even after that. Trinity is going to join a support group for... Um, people who have been impacted by Johnny Magic. Recent members include Aurora, Plattville, so many others over the years that have just seen things go sideways at
0: the end of games at Clemens Stadium. Talking about this with other members of the media after the game, too, it's like, I basically assigned to one of the other reporters, not you, and I'm sorry, Greg, maybe I should have, uh, to just go through the list of games of the last 20 years or so. I think if you start... At about the uh, St. Thomas game in 2003, where they won on a field goal in the closing moments to keep the possibility of win number 409 on track for the next week against Bethel. That's about one of the places you could start. And then, of course, you've got your national championship game of that year. And then so many things after that. You could probably pull out. 15 or so games in the last 20 seasons that qualify for Johnny magic coach Foshing did not want to credit it to Johnny magic necessarily, but I think just about everybody else in the building did except for one person who we'll talk to later.
1: Yes. I know as we're following the game in our game day, Slack channel, Pat, we uh, you're texting me or putting into the Slack, what's going on. I'm following the live stats. I'm putting into the chat. Is it, is it happening? (laughs) and of course it was happening just all of the things that seemed that could go wrong for Trinity in the fourth quarter kind of did and then uh you get to overtime they hold St. John's to a field goal have a chance to win with a touchdown of their own in overtime they've got to run that play without Tucker Horn and uh you know you end up with Saxon's interception to seal the game and St. John's
0: survives comeback win against a top four rated team. I'm happy with the way the uh, top 25 poll turned out as well. St. John's goes up a spot. Trinity goes down a spot. Our voters are pretty good at determining that uh, when the poll isn't broke, don't try to fix it. And these two teams were highly ranked before the game. They played a very narrow game. It was a game in overtime where the lower ranked team at home won. I think the poll was pretty good in the first place and not much change to it. So that's good. Like I said, we will talk more about this. Jeremy Urban, the head coach of Trinity, will tell a little bit more about late game decisions and some of the guys who were not available. We talked about Caleb Harmel, but of course, that's not the only person who was not around when the game came to its conclusion. All right, Greg. So that was the thriller. Now, how about the shocker from Saturday? The unbelievable result. Yeah, it was
1: definitely not Mary Hardin-Baylor's day at River Falls as the then number 3 team in the nation fell 45 to 22 to UAW River Falls and Pat that game was not that close. UMHB's first possession ended with a bad punt snap that resulted in a negative 10-yard punt to the Mary Hardin-Baylor 30-yard line. River Falls, they quickly capitalized on that field position. They scored a touchdown to go ahead early. The crew's second possession ends in yet another botched punt snap. They set the Falcons up at the crew 19. River Falls cashes that one in for another touchdown. They're up 14-0 very quickly. And now I'm going to skip ahead a bit. The crew's first half possessions ended with botched punt snap, botched punt snap, interception, field goal, fumble, fumble, botched punt snap, punt, punt,
0: touchdown. Greg, I just want to make sure that this wasn't some, like, hiccup in the uh, internet conferencing streaming service that we're using to record this. You said botched punt snap twice, right? You said fumble twice in a row. Yeah, I just want to make sure that that was accurate. That is correct. There was a third
1: botched punt snap in there. They did get a couple of punts off uh, properly as drawn up later on in the first half. But really, by the time the crew got into the end zone at the end of the first half, They were down 35-3, to and River Falls was in full control. They were not going to give that one back. This was both an incredible performance by River Falls. They have finally broken through with that signature win that we've been kind of waiting on them for for a little bit. And now this has been also one of the more uncharacteristically disjointed games that we've seen from UMHB in quite some time.
0: You've got your situation where... Lots of things uncertain and up in the air for Mary Harden-Baylor coming into this season, right? And they do lose their first-string quarterback through the course of this game. Even in the second half when Mary Harden-Baylor played a more, you know, take-care-of-the-ball kind of game in the second half. It's not as if they gained ground on River Falls. They didn't cut into that lead necessarily. You know, the second half was not any better as far as I could tell.
1: No, and it's hard to say if this was a case where the crew got down early and just kind of got out of sorts and maybe the uh, the competitive level fell a little bit after that opening sequence of series, but you expect, I think this year, the strength of the UMHB offense to be their run game. They've got a pair of really good running backs back while they're going to sort out uh, the quarterback situation and some new receivers. They're, you know, we're replacing a lot of experience and great players uh, from last year's team that graduated in those areas. But they couldn't run either. Uh, River Falls really took the run away from them in this game, and they kind of had to get away from it in, in an attempt to come back. Um, but even when they did try to run, not a ton of success for UMHB, and uh, that's going to be a thing that will be interesting to see if they. Cannot find some answers at quarterback and receiver that make teams respect the pass game and open up some of the uh, opportunities for Miller and Cormier. Could be a much more difficult offensive uh, situation for UMHB this year.
0: Larry Harmon, head coach for the crew, didn't have much to say after this one, but thanks to Riley Zayas and True to the Crew for getting one question off and sending us this audio response.
1: You know, we can't let this game beat us twice. Uh, We didn't obviously we just shot ourselves in the foot in the first quarter and lost composure and everything else that you get with a young team. Uh, But that's why we schedule these games. That's why we play good people because the bottom line is I gotta get my team ready to win our conference. We win the conference, we're in the playoffs. We might be on the road every game, I don't care. Playoffs are just about
2: win. So this is about, we weren't the best team today. Hopefully by week 15, we are the best team.
0: Excellent point, Greg. I mean, you cannot let this, uh, this game still affect you going into next week. And by the way, of course, the week after. The next two weeks are Trinity and UW-Whitewater.
1: That's right. And I think Coach Harmon is correct. You don't win a national championship in week one. You win in week 15. And that is where you want to be at your best. We've seen UMHB teams in the past sort of start out in fits and starts, especially offensively, especially in seasons where they don't quite know who their quarterback is going to be. It might take them three or four or five or six games to settle on a player there. Now, you know, they don't have a lot of um, margin for error over the next few weeks, but they're not into conference play yet. They still have some time before that happens. So, Uh, really the entire season still in front of Mary Harden Baylor. A lot of the things that went wrong for them, especially early on, are correctable things like snapping the ball to your punter. Um, Yes. So, you know, a lot of room for improvement, and I believe they will be focused next week and ready to go for Trinity. I expect a good game. I don't expect another faceplant here by UMHB.
0: It would be a really long trip to see a faceplant game, and I'm not all that interested in that. And I will say this. I do understand, we do understand that not all of the botched punts were because of bad snaps. There was a perfectly good snap that was also dropped, so that's a lot of fun as well. Okay, Matt Walker, head coach of UW-River Falls. This is the biggest win for River Falls since Adam Cowles was quarterback way back in the early 1990s, running that wishbone offense, taking those guys deeper into the NCAA playoffs. Here's what Coach Walker had to say after the game.
2: Well, that team's so good. They're going to be right back in at the end of the year. I promise everybody that that team will be right there again. And so you better take advantage. They don't do that often. And and we we did offensively. We took advantage because, you know, we had to drive the long field. You could see it was hard going for us, but we had short fields. We could really make some noise. But I think, you know, it's the defense all day that just allowed this to happen. I mean, that's a dominant day because of our defense. And and, and, yeah, taking
1: advantage
0: of good field position for sure. Now they're going to have an even bigger target on their back, right? Greg, all the targets on all the people's backs in the Wyac, And I'm already looking through my schedule going, yeah, I think I'm free October 14th when Whitewater goes to River Falls. I actually have not been to River Falls since they opened the new stadium, which is my bad. My apologies. You're only 45 miles from me. It is one of the everywheres that I've been. And now I
1: have to go back. Not a better time to go back, I think, than Whitewater at River Falls this year. Um, should be a great game as most weeks and
0: most games in the YAC ought to be. Now is the time in the podcast where we need to recognize and thank a very important group of people who helped make d3sports.com happen, help make the d3football.com around the nation podcast happen. And that is our supporters on Patreon. Patreon subscribers essentially subscribe to an artist a musician a blogger uh, a website a podcast and provide them with a amount of financial support on a monthly basis it's as if you become a sustaining member of like a public media uh, radio station something like that and we are greatly appreciative for those who do
1: That's right, Pat. Our Patreon subscribers help fuel all of the D3sports.com family of sites. But during football season, we see that support manifested in the regular cycle of coverage that our readers see throughout each and every week. Features columns around the nation, on-site coverage on Saturdays, live scoreboard on game day. All of these things are made possible by our Patreon supporters. If you enjoy D3Football.com and all of the coverage that the site provides, consider joining our group of Patreon subscribers or support the site with a one-time donation. Maybe you're already a Patreon subscriber. If so, thank you so much. You can continue to support D3Football.com by spreading the word to your fellow fans at your next home game tailgate. I was very heartened over the
0: course of the past couple of weeks when a couple of people who had kind of leveled down their support during the football offseason, leveled it back up for the football season. Very happy about that. I suspect you're listening, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. I know I will see your team at some point this season, so that's super helpful. I would say this, too. Uh, just because of the way of sports websites in college have been over the last couple years. We're probably in need of a second person to help update the scoreboard on Saturday but there is funding to do that and I would be interested in hearing from anybody who is one of the people who maybe sits at their keyboard on a Saturday afternoon like you do, like I do and like the other people on our team do we could use maybe another set of hands so you know, drop me a message DM us at D3Football on any of the uh, various number of uh, platforms and I would say this too I know this is already a long break, but uh, chatting with St. John's fans at the tailgate before the game on Saturday, one of them told me, keep pushing the Patreon because there need to be more people who support the website this way. We should not be ashamed of saying that. And that's super helpful. I appreciate that. So thank you for that patreon.com slash d3sports, or if you want to give a one-time donation, that is super awesome as well. Go to d3sports.com slash help. All right, Greg, most weeks a game like UW-Whitewater and John Carroll would be top billing or nearer to top billing than number three, but another great game on Saturday between two first-time head coaches, two guys coaching at their alma maters, two guys who, you know, are in a position where you need to have the best at large resume possible as much as anybody does when they're only four at large bits, but they're both in power conferences with other teams who are going to likely make big noise come around uh, week 11 as well.
1: That's right. And uh, Wisconsin Whitewater defeats John Carroll, 27 to 23 in university Heights. John Carroll started this game uh, off Well, they really uh, had stymied the Whitewater offense early in the game, mostly through the first half. They had ended the first half with a 13 to three lead. Not a lot going for Whitewater offensively. They've got some new pieces on their offense as well. Took them a little time to get going. But in the second half, the Whitewater offense did get going. Uh, difficult in this game to sustain drives. Both teams sort of, you know, punted back and forth a lot. Whitewater took a lead in the third quarter. John Carroll in the fourth quarter scored a touchdown, got that lead back. And then Pat with about four and a half minutes left, Whitewater went on a 12 play 85 yard drive. Nick wind with a uh, game winning touchdown catch with about 30 seconds left to go. Uh, 12 plays, Whitewater fans, they know that well 12 plays, the number of plays that they use to go 99 yards in their comeback against UMHB last year. So a similar 12 play drive used a little more time to get down the field in this one, but they did get the clutch touchdown uh, there at the, in the last minute of the game to get out of Cleveland with a big win for Jace Rindle and the Warhawks.
0: Yeah. It'll be interesting to see Alec Ogden, how he continues to look as the season progresses, right? You know, nobody's had any film on this guy, right? And a bunch of the guys who got carries, are names you're not familiar with. A couple of his receivers are people you have heard of, like Stephen Hine, Tommy Coates. You've heard these names before. But, yeah, I mean, it's a bunch of new players in new positions here as well. It's more on the defensive side that you've got some familiar guys when your are
2: Whitewater this year. See you all, met. you all, met. you all, met. We have a very resilient football team. Guys are making plays, and, you know, you play the, the second half with five starters out on defense and we had a lot of guys stepping up um, and, and playing well and at the end of the day our guys made made the plays to put themselves in a position to win and and i'm gonna put this one uh, without taking anything away from st john's i'm gonna put this one solely on me that's what i told my team at the end um i um, did not make a good game management choice at the end of the football game
0: um talk a little
2: more about that if you would well you know when I mean, we complete the ball to will taylor down to the four yard line or whatever it is and Thirty seconds on the on the clock, and um, I I lost game situation awareness right there um, in terms of um, trying to to, to go for a touchdown um, as opposed to center the football up. They have two timeouts, run it two times, make them use it all. We have we have one still, run it on third down, kick a game winner. And I mean, obviously, you still have to go through the field goal operation, but tip my hat to their team, they, they never gave up, um, but I told our guys after the game that we got a lot of guys experience and we'll grow from this.
0: Tucker tried to make it an amazing individual play there, basically, tried to get you guys in the end zone on his own.
2: He's an incredible, incredible um, competitor. And, you know, there, there's, a, there's an award at the end of the year um, that the genesis of it came from this field, with a, a, a gentleman who, who started the um, program and built it to unbelievable heights. And I will tell you right now that there's not a better player in the country. Um, and I think it's really cool that he can come out here and put on this performance um, with hopefully a bunch of um, Johnny Club voters in attendance and make an early case for the Gilardi Trophy.
0: Uh, tell us a little bit about what happens to the defense after Harmel gets uh, ejected from the game.
2: You know, we, we had a couple of unfortunate situations. I'm, I'm not sure if we had some dining stuff or any, something, but we, we had a handful of guys go out um, with some sort of a stomach thing. Um, and then whether the first game stuff contributed or not, I'm not sure, but you know, you're, you're down two corners, Trey Green, Trey King. You're down Casey Hampton at our field safety. Um, and then with Caleb's ejection, um, that was a tough one to swallow, um, especially because I thought that there were very similar plays in the first half on our quarterback, that. Um, I was told um, something completely different than what they ruled on that. Um, And obviously, again, we we had other opportunities. I mean, one thing that Coach Fashion, after the game, talked about when he came up and told me that he didn't think that our middle linebacker should have been injected, um, we had a moment of of conversation about how D3 needs to have a replay um, because we're taking opportunities away from kids. Um, This this game has playoff implications, and we may... Still not come out on top because that's a great football team, but we played a lot of football without our best defensive player um, for something that I think would have been overturned. Can
0: that be reviewed in time to uh, salvage his first half status for next week?
2: Um, I'm going to have to go through that process. I know that as a non-conference game, there's some things that um, it could be different. Um, we have a very clean process within conference play. Um, so. And again, I'm going to have to dedicate some time here tomorrow and early this week to, to trying to get him back. Your guys
0: experienced what Johnny fans know as Johnny Magic. What do you take from this crazy way this game ended, the last you know, 10 minutes or so, to build for next week against Mary Hart and baylor we
2: just got to get back to work. Um, again, I, I, I believe this is a championship-level football team. Um, and when you, like I said a while ago, the, the amount of guys on both sides, I mean, Ryan Back came in. And, and he let us down. Um, he's a really, really good quarterback. He's learned from a great one. Um, you know, I have no problem putting him out there again in the future, um, but the amount of game time experience that we have for, big guy, or for guys in big games like this, he's gonna pay dividends and um, you know, obviously you don't wanna be on the other side for, for that. Um, but again, I, I let the magic happen with a very, very poor um, game time decision.
0: You brought him back for that final call, for that final play, the play in overtime. Was that a Tucker Horn availability situation, or was that like a hot hand, or how did you decide to do that?
2: Definitely not a hot hand decision, because Tucker had gone down the previous drive. Um, You know, he had been battling like the the captain and the champion that he is, and um, Coach Lytle had told me that um, kind of on some availability that, that he thought we needed to go with Ryan because of, Tucker recovering from the previous drive. Um, again, I have all the trust in the world in Ryan. Um, he's not Tucker right now, but he's when his time comes down the road, he's going to be a great one for us. Um, but we have confidence in him, no different than Johnny Cusa um, playing field corner, right, and Kennedy Stewart playing boundary corner, Tyson Cornett, Cade Raps, and all those guys who came in on defense and, and still put us in a position to win. Um, so it's just, it just seems that it came down to that.
0: I appreciate Coach taking the time right as they are loading things up on the bus, warming up the bus behind me. And I feel like I have to point out one point of clarification. J-Club members do not vote for the Glardy Trophy themselves. They are involved in selecting the 10 or whatever semifinalists that end up on the ballot. So it definitely does not hurt to have uh, that kind of performance in front of those kind of people. Let's put it that way. Indeed. And, you know, that's some really candid stuff there from Coach Urban after the game. I
1: think it can, in the moment, be easy to find yourself on the wrong side of the stay aggressive or get conservative choice. Uh, Given the result, it's easy to say that Trinity chose wrong uh, there at the end of the fourth quarter. But who knows? You know, Maybe he plays it by the book, he centers the ball, he kicks the short field goal, and then St. John's blocks it and runs it back because no strategy is a winning strategy when Johnny Magic happens. Uh, What we do know is that Tucker Horn is really, really good He had a near perfect day against one of the better teams in the country in one of the most difficult visiting environments to play in. He was the best player on the field for me in a game that featured a lot of really good players. And I think we also know that Trinity is properly positioned in our poll. Their top four ranking raised some eyebrows from our preseason poll and people that were uh, took interest in that. But, you know, they are a very experienced and talented team. and They look like they can be competitive with just about anybody in the division.
2: Game balls. Game balls. Game balls. Game balls. Game
0: balls. It's time for game balls. And my game ball is going to Eric Bjork, senior linebacker for St. John's. Yeah, we're not quite done. We're almost done with the St. John's Trinity game. Uh, Bjork was the second defender to the play as Tucker Horn is scrambling to get those extra yards down to the goal line. And we all know what the second defender's job is, right? Right. Second defender goes after the ball. He's got his helmet on the ball. He knocked it out. His teammate, defensive lineman Zach Frank, recovered it, and the Johnnies survived to get to overtime. I got a chance to talk with Eric about it after the game. It's like a linebacker's dream, right? Yeah, it was. It it lined up perfectly, kind of turned the corner, and uh, I I just went for him and got my helmet on the ball and popped out, and we were able to get it back and go into overtime. Bjork finished with nine tackles on the afternoon and that all-important forced fumble as St. John's, in case you hadn't heard, one 34 31 in overtime.
1: Barry sophomore Hunter Coleman is listed as a tight end/slash H-back. But Pat, on Saturday, he was the Norse god of punt blocks in Barry's 67-34 win over Huntington. The Vikings blocked three Huntington punts in this game, but Coleman got two of those three. His first punt block came at 616 of the second quarter and bounced through the back of the end zone for a safety. His second block, set up teammate Nick Palmer for a five-yard scoop and score on the first possession of the second half. That touchdown pushed the Barry advantage to 43-20, to 20, and the route was on at that juncture. For those two pump blocks that led directly to nine big points for his team, Hunter Coleman gets my game ball. Norse god Hunter Coleman, huh? Yeah, the Coleman has a the slashed O. So, Coleman, I do, that joke doesn't play well in an audio format.
0: That's all right. I just have to say also, Hunter Coleman, as far as I know, no relation. That's not my stat. Also, not going to be my stat. Not
1: my stat. That may be the most incredible stat.
0: Stat of the week, I feel like I'm taking a stat right out of Greg Thomas's uh, inbox to say that uh, in the Gentleman's Classic between Wabash and Hampton-Sydney, it's a very evenly balanced game, evenly balanced score. Wabash wins this game by one, each of them with 399 yards of total offense, a far cry from the nearly thousand yards of offense that they combined for when the teams met last year. This is just nearly 800 yards. And that's my stat of the week.
1: Not my stat of the week, but I believe and this is unofficial, Pat, but I think the Philly special and variants of the Philly special work 100 (laughs) percent of the time. Which is hard to believe that still works, right? It's amazing. It works every time. My stat of the week, Pat, is Cordland. The Dragons rushed for 279 yards against Del DelVal in their big win over the 10th-ranked uh, DelVal Aggies on Saturday. 279 yards rushing against Delaware Valley. That is the most against the Aggies defense since September 14th, 2013, when second-year program Missouri Accordia rushed for 370 yards against Delaware Valley College. That's how long it's been. They changed names since then. We were waiting to see how that Delaware Valley College defense was going to play after uh, all those graduation losses. Game one, uh, not great. Cortland really, really had their way with
0: them. Alfano St. John, and that is just the, the guy's entire last name, is a, is a force to be reckoned with in the backfield. Do I need to call a P101 on you, or do you want to take a second take on the folks from the opposition there? When Misericordia... Man, that's going to get me Misericordia. <laughs> if you do it twice, Misericordia. Pronunciation 101. Budavistic. Monon Belp. Budavistic.
2: Killardi. What's
0: Worcester. Misericordia. Misericordia, that's right. It's just, your, uh, it's just your standard Latin pronunciation of Misericordia. Really, Greg, though, I, we have so few opportunities for pronunciation 101 anymore, I wanted to make sure that the 2023 audience... Got to have one of those. I do it for the fans, Pat. I'm just here so I won't get fined. All right, we go region by region, and we start with region one to say what's fun in the one. I'm a real wild one. And for me, I'm thinking right now, the MAC, the Middle Atlantic Conference, seems like it's going to be a lot more fun this year. I mean, obviously, Delaware Valley is still the champion at this point because, you know, that's a a loss at Cortland. It's a non-conference game, right? But the Aggies' five consecutive seasons without a conference loss, that streak might be in jeopardy after uh, the way week one went down. Stevenson and Kings, they both won nail biters in week one. And I think they have to feel a little better about their chances going into MAC play here as we start MAC play coming up. Pat, the ECFC had fun in
1: the one. They went four and one in week one. Dean and Anna Maria got wins over Fitchburg State and Westfield State. These are teams that finished at the bottom of the Mascac last year. Alfred State got a semi-surprise win over Missouri Cordia, and probably the biggest ECFC surprise uh, is Castleton using a 13-point fourth-quarter rally to knock off Plymouth State. Plymouth State is a team that won nine games last season, so that's a really nice win for the ECFC. And, you know, maybe the ECFC playoff representative isn't destined after all to enter the playoffs with just four or five wins.
0: No, I agree. That's certainly a great start. Uh, I really liked one of the things about that Castleton, Plymouth game is having over 3,000 fans for that game. Obviously, there are lots of places who would, you know, just be ecstatic about 3,000 fans, and this is one of them. Plymouth out of New Hampshire, Castleton out of Vermont, a little border battle up there in New England, and a lot of people got to see a thrilling finish. It's a- Looking at what's new in the two, and we talked in an earlier show about there being more non-conference games in the region and new non-conference games to boot. One of those was, of course, Johns Hopkins hosting Ithaca, a game which JHU won 27 to 17 under new starting quarterback Bay Harvey. Frank Rossi of In The Huddle talked with him after the game.
1: How important was it for your team to get that edge in that first half and go into the locker room with that?
0: I think that was really important. I think the first, first drive honestly was huge, being able to go down and score. I think that happened, pretty sure. Um, it did. So uh, that definitely just shows, like, you know, these these guys are really good, but, like, you know, we're as good, if not better than them. So that gave us the confidence. We kept rolling from there. Obviously, we had a few setbacks. And then going into the halftime with the lead, like, you know, we knew we'd handle this. So we just had to keep the gas on the pedal. Harvey completed 19 to 28 passes for 257 yards and three touchdowns. Also ran for 63 yards and another score. This is a guy who grew up in Switzerland. It came back to the States to go to high school. Looks like he will be worth watching. And I will just try to avoid making the jokes about carving up defenses like Swiss cheese or something like that.
1: The pack being a closed system is new in the two. And the first weekend of conference play produced shutout wins by Carnegie Mellon. It's 31 to 0 over Geneva. Case Western Reserve 14 to 0 over Teal. And Washington and Jefferson with a 51 to 0 win over St. Vincent. If these are the three favorites to win this league, we might see a number of weeks with these kinds of results. The head-to-head matchups between these teams don't happen until much later in the season. Could be well into October before the leader of the pack emerges.
0: I think it's interesting about a couple of those games, right? It was 14-0 at the half for Case over Teal, and that was the final score. And then Carnegie Mellon was only up 3-0 on Geneva at the end of the first half. That was a couple of things that were very surprising. Obviously, uh, you know, Carnegie Mellon had no trouble in the second half and I don't know, it'll be interesting to see if his case being held to 14 by teal an indication that teal's finally getting some things together. Maybe we'll find out here over the course of the next 10 weeks.
1: Greg, what do you see in the 3? In some of the not yet discussed ranked action in Region 3, Randolph-Macon rolled to a 51-9 win at North Carolina Wesleyan. Oh yeah, this is going to be good. Drew Campanelli had a workmanlike 11 for 17, 120 yards, one touchdown game. Nick Hale rushed for three touchdowns for the Yellow Jackets. Randolph-Macon has really become a consistently good football program and a clear favorite again in the ODAC where you might see some heavy favorites take some time to steady themselves in week one. Randolph-Macon had no such issue getting into their week one game, and they look every bit the top 15 team that our voters
0: believe they are. I just want to make sure that people heard Keith McMillan in the drop in the middle of that. What do you see in the three? Another interesting thing to see in the three on Saturday was something that you would have needed to stay up somewhat late to catch, and that is Howard Payne going to George Fox, coming away a 17-3 winner. Landon McKinney had an okay night at quarterback for the Yellow Jackets, but he had to throw 51 passes to get his 368 yards. Life without Otis Lanier in the receiving core for Howard Payne, a little different so far. But the three scores that Howard Payne had were no fluke. They drove 64 yards, 63 yards, and 90 yards. Then those last two drives took up nine minutes and 21 seconds of the fourth quarter to not only seal the win, but keep the ball out of George Fox's hands. This is the first win for Howard Payne in their three meetings with George Fox. And By far the lowest combined score for the two teams. Last year, Fox won that game
2: 42-39.
0: Greg, what's the score in the
1: four? 52-7 is the score in the four. Specifically, that's the score that Alma defeated Ohio Northern by on Saturday afternoon. After opening the game with two punts, the Scots scored touchdowns on their next four possessions. They added a fifth touchdown right before halftime and they cruised to an easy victory over the Polar Bears. Carter St. John was terrific, throwing four touchdowns in the contest. Alma's defense overwhelmed ONU's offense all day long. Alma, I think it's safe to say, will not soon pop up in the most likely to be upset section of quick hits.
0: Yeah, bad on both of us for that. Carter St. John is a first name and a last name for those of you keeping track at home. We are all about St. John's, apparently, here on this particular podcast. My score in the four is a little bit closer, and that's Wittenberg defeating Dubuque 28-27 on Saturday in what I'm going to dub the Jim Collins Bowl. Jim Collins was the head coach at Dubuque before he made capital into a force to be reckoned with. And if you don't know that once upon a time capital was a force to be reckoned with, that's a thing that happened from about 2005 to 2007. Collins is now in his second year back in D3, and he's trying to return Wittenberg to prominence. The Tigers got that underway with two four-quarter touchdowns and the 28-27 victory. Wittenberg is home to Kenyon in two weeks, and then they host Alma on September 23rd. Last year's finish for the Tigers was 5-5. That was Collins' first season. It was actually the worst record for Wittenberg in 17 seasons. As much as maybe the program tailed off a little bit at the end under Joe Fincham and I say that with all the respect in the world for the guy who brought Wittenberg to multiple national quarterfinals and beyond things kind of hit the skids a little bit and then last year was five and five so we'll see how things go this year
1: yeah that's a good win for Wittenberg picked picked to finish fifth in the North Coast this year and uh, going on the road to win at Dubuque that's a that's a really good win for Wittenberg and for the North Coast
0: Number
1: five. pat who's looking alive in
0: the five well this isn't something i get to say very often but north park is looking alive so this band of vikings is never going to have a norse god of anything north park is way more connected to sweden than it is to norway but they did pitch a shutout on saturday defeating manchester 27 to nothing you know when you're a program that struggles sometimes you uh, have problems retaining players that they've been able to do so over the last couple of years. They have a three-year starter at quarterback. They had three all-conference defenders returning. So the competition level obviously steps up as they enter CCIW play. But, I mean, North Park hadn't shut out anyone since 1999, and uh, that's not worth nothing. So it's a 1-0 for North Park so far this season.
1: Monmouth is looking alive in the five, I believe. Yes, they did lose 62-35 at Wartburg on Saturday night. But Wartburg did not put the Scots away until late in the fourth quarter. In fact, with 10 minutes to play, this was a 42-35 to game. Wartburg didn't give up their 35th point in 2022 until sometime in mid-October. The Scots managed to pile up 499 yards of total offense to go along with those 35 points. I still think this Wartburg defense is among the best in the division. And I think maybe we learned a lot about Mon stealing in this game. Translating an offensive performance like that to the Midwest Conference, I think bodes quite well for Monmouth in their quest to get back to the top of the MWC standings. Also noteworthy for Wartburg in that game, Hunter Clausen, six rushing touchdowns, and Parker Rochford with three interceptions. The third pick is a pick six for Rochford that sealed the deal in the fourth quarter.
0: Greg, you didn't get an opportunity to react to the Turbo Clausen supercut that I threw into podcast number 331, and I just opened the floor for your thoughts.
1: Pat, the, the supercut's always great. I love that they can be sometimes like a bit of a uh, delayed reaction. It's like funny immediately, and then it goes to a point where it's like, okay, we're still doing this, and then it circles back around. And it's like, <laughs> we're still doing this. It's still funny. So, uh, yes, love it. Love the turbo supercut. Hunter Clausen, I mean, six touchdowns. Clausen and Rochford probably split the Wartburg game ball vote. And so um, maybe that's why neither of those got one this week.
0: That makes sense. I listened to slash watched the Wartburg uh, video stream of a good portion of that game. And I never heard the word turbo once. uh, You can understand why. Greg, what's in the mix in the six? Six feet, six, six feet,
2: six feet, six, six feet
1: but it seems like everybody is in the mix in the WYAC. The division's best conference had a 7-in-1 weekend. Their only loss coming by way of UW Stevens Point dropping a lopsided game to Division 1 bound Lindenwood. Impressive results across the board for the WYAC. Incredibly pat week 1 just an appetizer for the WYAC non-conference slate. We're going to see more ranked challengers against these state league teams this weekend.
0: I feel like I should call an audible on On The Spot and just have you tell me what a Wyack appetizer should be, because my first thought is, you know, cheese curds, and maybe there doesn't need to be a second thought, but that sounds like a really good Wyack appetizer.
1: Yeah, you're, you're looking at cheese curds, definitely. The main is
0: bratwurst, right? Something like that?
1: Yeah, you're definitely going to go sausage and, you know, a domestic macro brew there as well.
0: Macro brew maybe, but I'm going to throw in my two cents on Spotted Cow which is a, a new Glarus brewing option that is only available within the state of Wisconsin and is the best thing to go to Wisconsin for. I await your letters, tweets, and emails. 7-1 and on the weekend and 5-0 and against D3 with some great head-to-head comparisons. Uh, great week for the WIAC that will probably help them out when uh, Selection Sunday comes around. It's as if they saw... Everything that people were saying after the Wyatt got bounced in the first round of the playoffs last year, people were starting to question whether they were the division's best conference, and bam, that happens. But uh, Greg, a low-key great week for the Skyak as well. Only some untimely lightning up in Oregon kept the league from going 4-1 and one on Saturday. Chapman's game at Pacific was suspended early in the third quarter with Chapman up 24 to nothing, and it was never resumed. But Redlands went to Pacific Lutheran. They won claremont Mud scripps won at the University of Chicago. Cal Lutheran beat Southwestern. And it was only Laverne on the losing side for the Skyhawk on Saturday, falling 24-21 to Willamette.
1: Your categories have become tiresome.
0: You've got mail. Tiresome. We throw out the bat signal on whatever short messaging social media service happens to exist at any given time. We ask for your questions for this podcast. And we got one from Mac Theft, that's M-A-A-C theft, asking us, did anybody cost themselves a home game in the tournament this weekend? Hard
1: to project all the way out from week one, but I think if if anybody did a lot of damage to their ability to host a game in the first weekend, it might be Delaware Valley. I don't, I'm looking through Delaware Valley's schedule and maybe not a lot of opportunities for ranked wins as they go through the rest of their schedule and Losing the one game against maybe the one ranked opponent that they'll see in the manner that they did, probably not going to play very well for them. Looking at who's, who lost this weekend and can be in the tournament, um, I think Delaware Valley is still a favorite in the MAC, even though the, they lost this game. And I think that would be the team that I would zero in on is maybe, maybe a team that could still win their league but might find themselves on the road in the first round.
0: Yeah, I think someone else did too, but we don't know who it is yet. I think it's whoever loses between Mary Harden-Baylor and Trinity uh, coming up in Week 2. I think we know from experience that there's only one school in Texas that's likely to host in the first round, and it might be neither one of those anyway. It might be Harden-Simmons. It's way too early to know, but whoever loses that uh, Mary Harden-Baylor-Trinity game on Saturday, assuming they go on to win their automatic bid, is definitely not going to be hosting in the first round of the playoffs. Good question. Next one, we're going to take another. This is from Rick Brienza, at Rick Brienza, R-I-C-B-R-I-E-N-Z-A. You Mount Union fans, or at least anybody who's been around more than 10 years, already know how to spell that name. That's the guy who was the longtime play-by-play voice on WDPN Radio 1210 Alliance, Ohio. He's asking, is UMHB looking at 0-3? I have to say they're looking at it. I mean, they are, there are a couple of uh, roads they could go, um, but it has to be something that is at least visible to them, right? Uh, after the way things went, we talked about, of course, next week, Trinity, and then after that, UW-Whitewater.
1: Yeah, Certainly, you can't be 0-3 unless you're 0-1, but I also want to not overreact to UMHB losing that game at River Falls. Yeah, it it was not pretty. We talked about it. Not a really good performance from them. Is that going to be representative of what we see from the crew the rest of the season? I very highly doubt it. Um, So 0-3. Uh, I'd like to see if UMHB gets to 0-2 before we start talking about UMHB 0-3. And, and I think, you know, they'll be, they'll be ready and, and playing
0: well next week at Trinity. Rick, glad you're still paying attention. Glad you're on, uh, on X. We appreciate that. Last question. Three male bad questions this week. And this is from Dakid underscore 456, D-A-K-I-D underscore 456. Asking a great philosophical question. Can a close loss to a top-tier opponent be worth more than a win against a team outside of the top 25. And I think the question that we then have to ask is worth more in what way?
1: That's correct. I think if you're looking at our top 25 poll, um, sometimes there's more equity in playing close games against top teams. Uh, We saw, you know, Trinity not move very much. They did lose some points in the poll this week, but not a whole lot. They only moved down one, one poll position. I think if you're talking about selection and seeding criteria the answer is it depends getting a win against anybody is primary criteria the strength of the team that you play is also primary criteria and we've seen those primary criteria be weighted in different ways in different seasons depending on the makeup of the selection committee so um you know the answer is can a loss to a top tier opponent be worth more than beating a team outside of the top 25? The answer is definitely yes. It can be. Will it be
0: on Selection Sunday? We'll see. (laughs) If Keith were still on this podcast, we just walked right into one of the classic blunders from a copy editing standpoint. But you got it right, Greg. But the question would always be, can the Blue Jays rally to make the playoffs? And the answer almost always is, yeah, sure they can, but will they? Good job. Thanks for your questions, everybody. Keep an eye out for that bat signal when it comes out on Sundays as we are doing this podcast on Sunday nights for Monday mornings throughout the rest of this season. Looking ahead at uh, games to watch, my game to watch is not the one I thought it would be, but perhaps it's even more intriguing now that Trinity, now ranked number five, Mary Harden Baylor, now ranked number 12, are each 0 and 1. I've already talked a little bit about the implications, obviously, right, for one of these teams losing on a Saturday coming up is not going to affect their chances at an automatic bid. But now you're talking about severely impacting your seating. Uh, Larry Harmon already talked about it. If you're playing every game on the road in the playoffs, the rest of the way, but you're still in the playoffs, that's not a bad place to be. Um, Question will be here. You know, I didn't feel like Trinity did a whole lot wrong on Saturday. Uh, A couple of, uh, you know, late game decisions that uh, coach urban talked about in fast five earlier. Guys cramping up, right? Guys getting hurt and getting knocked out of the game. You know, those are things that are potentially correctable if all those guys are healthy. It's Mary Harden-Baylor who has so much more to work on, I think. You know, their lineup is less settled. You know, uh, Trinity has a bunch of guys who have done this before, and the, the familiar names in their backfield, in their secondary when they're healthy, in their linebacking core up front... Trinity does not necessarily have to doubt or reconsider who they're putting on the field if everybody's healthy on Saturday. I think for Marriott and Baylor, that's a big question, right? You know, from all observation and conversation, seems like they didn't do very well or look very good in their preseason scrimmage opportunities, and they certainly didn't look good on Saturday up at River Falls, and this is a, this is a big game that doesn't have any automatic bid implications, but it's definitely the game to watch. I'm looking forward to my first trip back to Trinity since 1997. I do understand the stadium has been upgraded just a little bit. And I'm looking forward to that and, you know, some good Tex-Mex and, I don't know, tequila, something like that. I am looking forward to uh, not at the game. This is after or maybe the night before. That's my game to watch.
1: Wow. I didn't know it was going to be that kind of party. My game to watch this week is number six, Harden Simmons at number 11, UW Lacrosse. Both sides had light work in week one. Harden Simmons dispatching Albright 47 to three, while UW Lacrosse easily handled Dakota State of the NAIA 31 to six. The Cowboys return starting quarterback Galen Glenn. He threw for 354 yards and four touchdowns in week one. Lacrosse looks like they have a new quarterback situation this year, and in week one, the Eagles. Split snaps between Kaiser Helterbrand and Zach Weir. The duo combined for a 19 of 27 night passing with 329 yards and four touchdowns. This week is going to be a big step up in competition for both sides. I think both teams might feel a little extra pressure to get this win. Lacrosse, they sat back on Saturday and watched their conference rivals notch big wins against ranked opponents like UMHB and John Carroll. Harden-Simmons, they watched as their chief rivals among the Texas playoff hopefuls lose games. So this is an opportunity for the Cowboys to create some separation in that Harden-Simmons, UMHB, Trinity cluster. The Cowboys, they handled their business well in their last trip to Wisconsin. That was a 40-0 to zero win in Platteville last September. I don't think this one gets a 40-point margin, uh, but this should be a really good game on Saturday afternoon
0: couple good centerpieces for people to watch on Saturday. That's an afternoon game and a night game. Other games to keep an eye on. Of course, uh, Wartburg will be at Bethel. That is Bethel's opener this season. St. John's goes to Whitewater out of the frying pan into another frying pan for the Johnnies on Saturday. Uh, UW Oshkosh uh, goes to Wheaton. Wheaton with its first game of the season coming up in Week 2. I think other games interesting too. Susquehanna going to Brockport. I'm uh, very interested in that game. That's a really good uh, matchup between Landmark and Empire Eight teams. We see a bunch of them this season because they have a scheduling agreement. Uh, you've got uh, Christopher Newport going to Johns Hopkins. Cortland coming to Lycoming. Like I think is is pretty interesting. That's a, a combination of teams you haven't seen before. But combination of teams you haven't seen before. Linfield and Denison. Denison out of the NCAC out of Granville, Ohio. That is where the Wildcats home of the streak. That's where they're going to be starting their season coming up this Saturday.
1: Hyper deeds field. One of my favorite North coast athletic conference venues uh, outside of Crawfordsville, obviously a uh, beautiful place to catch a game in the fall. Uh, really interesting matchup. Glad that one got done.
0: Um, also Pat, on Saturday, the Guru Bowl, Catholic at Randolph-Macon. Uh, quick preview. Catholic at Randolph-Macon. I'm glad to have a resumption of this series. It had a uh, brief respite while Catholic was in the NUMAC and while the ODAC was a little bit uh, larger, I guess. Um, you know, of course, this is so named, uh, and I use the term loosely. Hopefully you heard the air quotes, because Catholic is my alma mater and Randolph-Macon is Keith McMillan's alma mater. And they played every year from 1992 through 2021 or 2019. I can't remember if it was before or after the pandemic that, that started to take that hiatus. And of course, those are the two teams that famously are involved in the highest scoring tie in college football history, a record presumably never to be broken set when the teams tied 50 to 50 in 1995, a game in which Keith famously will recall that he was the the dime back on the depth chart that week and did not get put into the game because the dime apparently had not yet been put in in this game that was going to be 50 to 50. You said dime back. Dime back, everybody. Yes. It's good to, it's good to enunciate. So I don't think we have any... Uh, I don't think I have any... This is just for bragging rights. Catholic hasn't won this game in a while. Someday, I'm sure, we'll get back to having great games like we did in the 90s. But right now it's all Randolph making. And with that, I need to put you on the spot. All right, Greg, I know last week's on the spot went really well. So I'm going to stay with the I've been everywhere theme. We're going to make it a little more compact. So there are four cardinal directions on the compass, right? North, east, southwest, whatever order you want to put them in. What I need you to do is pick a winner for one game involving a school with each of these directions in its... Name. So if North Central were playing somebody, you know, we would say, you know, pick North Central over Piswilla Valley State. I'm looking for a game involving a North, a game involving an East, a South, and a West.
1: Absolutely love this game. Let's do it. Going into the week two scoreboard available on d3football.com, I'm going to look at Western New England. At Westfield State, I can't be wrong,
0: Pat, except I have to pick one. You do have to pick one of those two to win. But, yes, somebody almost certainly will win, barring Lightning. I will go uh, Western New England over Westfield State. That's a Friday night game, so if it does get suspended by Lightning, you have a really good chance of getting it finished on Saturday. Western New England over Westfield State. All right, so we've done West. Yep. You need me to refresh your options. You have North, South, and East remaining. Perfect. Perfect. I will go East
1: Texas Baptist at home against Hendricks. Um, Not sure I love the way ETBU looked last week, but um, give them the go. They might be my only option actually for East other than Eastern, but I don't like Eastern's matchup this week.
0: I think East Texas Baptist over uh, Hendricks is a reasonable pick to make. We're left with North and South. North
1: and South.
0: I will say shout out to Eastern. They looked pretty good against TCNJ on Saturday. Really good for three quarters, and then TCNJ pulls away to a 41-21 win.
1: Absolutely. Pat, I'm going to take Ohio Northern. I'm going to go Ohio Northern in a bounce back over Capital.
0: Ohio Northern over Capital. that are getting an early start to OAC play. Yeah, they need that one bad. That was a,
1: That was a rough one for the Polar Bears. Pat, I'm not sure that I like any of my options with South, but I think the one, the one where we might get a win, I'm going to go Birmingham Southern over Huntington. I think that's the best chance for a win for a team uh, with South in their name.
0: Now, I'm just going to go back and refresh the rules here. I actually only ask you to pick a winner in that game. You don't have to pick the directional school to win. Give me the bonus points. I'm going to pick the directional
1: schools to win. All right. That may wind up
0: with a lot of buzzers next week,
1: but we're going to go with it.
0: (laughs) How'd we do last week? Last week, I asked you, of course, Greg, to identify all the schools to one of my verses of I've been almost everywhere, which isn't something that needs to be scored. And thankfully, we don't have to belabor this. Listeners to pod 331, however, will be glad to know that that segment was originally seven and a half minutes and we cut it down to 3.05 or so.
1: It only felt like 15.
0: You did it. You, you soldiered through. I'm very, I'm, I'm very pleased. Last
1: week, I asked Pat to find the team that would travel the farthest to get a win. He picked Wabash, traveling 631 miles to win at Hampton, Sydney, which did absolutely happen. We had a few teams travel farther to win, however. Redlands went 1,164 miles to win at Pacific Lutheran. Howard Payne, we know one at George Fox. That was 1,950 miles away. Uh, but the longest trip for a winner on Saturday was Claremont Mud Scripts. They went 1,991 miles to win at the University of Chicago.
0: And I know this podcast is getting a little long. Appreciate that uh, you sticking with us. We're still going to hold ourselves accountable for quick hits, although uh, Logan Hansen is also holding us accountable as well so far.
1: Logan has set up a scoring system. I checked. Earlier at the time of this recording, score's not updated yet, so we're going to do a little more qualitative analysis of how we did in Quick Hits. Uh, The top 25 was safe from upsets from unranked teams. Overwhelmingly so in our case, Pat, as we both picked Alma to be on upset alert. And for Ryan Tips, who had
0: Susquehanna on alert, the Riverhawks, they won very comfortably at Bridgewater. A small amount of additional accountability to Ryan Tips for getting the relatively new Susquehanna nickname wrong and then subjecting at D3Football to extra ridicule on multiple social media platforms for it. Thanks, man.
1: Frank was the only one who correctly picked an upset with River Falls knocking off UMHB. Pat and Frank also correctly hit on John Poppy having a successful head coaching debut in Union's blowout win over Hilbert. Logan correctly predicted Rob Erickson's debut in UW-Eau Claire's 31-28 win over Concordia Moorhead. And Riley Zayas picked Jace Rindall to win his debut at Wisconsin Whitewater.
0: I think if we're giving out bonus points, we got to give them to Logan and uh, Riley for picking wins with degree of difficulty there. Absolutely. The MIAA, they
1: tallied two losses in week one, one of which we thought would happen with Hope falling at Aurora. The other, pretty surprising loss there with Adrian losing to Elmhurst. That's Elmhurst Blue Jays snapping a 15-game losing streak in that win. Greg and Logan were the only members of the panel to pick two losses for the MIAA in Week 1. And finally, in our Centennial versus Landmark question, the Centennial prevailed, winning five games in Week 1, while the Landmark Conference netted just three wins, Keystone and Catholic, joining Susquehanna in the win column from the Landmark. Five of our panelists correctly picked the centennial here. Frank Rossi, the lone panelist, to miss on this one.
0: He opted for a tie. And it wasn't a bow tie either or anything sparkly. It's just a a tie. Now speaking this into the world is going to make Frank go the other way. But I feel like now if we look at Logan's list by the end of the season, you might often see Frank being the outlier who wants to go the opposite way for whatever reason. He just really likes the landmark conference, I guess. And this was Around the Nation podcast number 332, released on September 4th of 2023. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out on the website. There's continuing coverage all week and all season. We are very thankful for the support of our monthly Patreon subscribers, and you can join them or learn more about it by visiting patreon.com slash d3sports. If you can't afford to support us in a financial manner, you can definitely help us out by telling a friend, telling a classmate, Tell a fellow alum about the show. Give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts if you're so inclined, because that is something that helps other people find the show as well. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on X. That was Twitter once upon a time. You use the D3FB hashtag. Please, hey, schools, coaches, teams, players, fans, D3FB hashtag is a thing that a lot of people follow, and that includes us. Using that just makes your posts more visible to everybody else. And anything that is more visible to us is more likely to be retweeted and then be seen by, you know, upwards of whatever, the 25,000 followers, almost all of whom are certainly not bots on X. I tweet from at D3Football on X. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? 1999 technology. Uh, no. 1999 concept 2005 technology. You can join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Com boards as in message boards. You can also follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Patrick Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh and Damara O'Malley. Additional audio this week from Riley Zayas and Frank Rossi. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks as well. We used his track 1989 as the underpinning for the turbo supercut last week in pod 331. Great track you can find those tracks on DJMentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to everybody who took their time to talk with us after the game on Saturday. Also, thanks to Keith McMillan. He was the OG host and the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com. We're super grateful for that. Even more grateful for Greg Thomas, who's sitting there in the window to my left. Uh, he's in his fourth season as not only the columnist, but the co-host of this show. Greg, I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thank you.
1: I feel a little bit bad about the end of Saturday night in the Slack I messaged the team I said holy cow guys the Skyac is going to go 5 and 0 this week at the time Chapman was up 21 to 0 and Laverne was up 14 to 0 and uh, as soon as I hit return and that thing landed in the in the chat screen in the Slack in the Slack program Lamont scored 17 straight points and the uh, Chapman Pacific game got rained out. Whatever the opposite of Johnny Magic is, that's what I did to
0: uh, the Sky Act
1: teams on Saturday night.
0: (laughs) You inspired the wrath of the gods there, that's for sure. Norse gods, Swedish gods, I'm not sure. I almost did go to the Laverne game. I have to get over there the season sometime super tense the gym is underneath this canvas covering it's kind of uh it's fairly unique is that what those are
1: over yeah
0: on the you're, you can i mean it's net right off the sideline i went over there uh the day that you and i recorded saw a basketball game so that i could check Laverne off my list in terms of basketball, because I also keep track of a basketball list.
1: How long is that song? Thank you so much, everybody.